The years of plenty came and went, just as Joseph had predicted. As planned, everyone brought one-fifth of their crop to Joseph so it could be stored in giant granaries all over Egypt. Fortunately, by the end of the good years, the granaries were full to overflowing. Then came the years of poor crops or no harvests at all. The famine in Egypt was turning out to be really bad, but it was also being felt in many surrounding countries. Before long, everyone's food supplies had been used up. Meanwhile, in Canaan, Jacob and his sons were asking themselves what they should do. I have heard that there is grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons. Go, go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. So Jacob's ten oldest sons saddled their donkeys and went to Egypt to buy grain. When they got there, they were told to see the governor, who was the overseer of all grain supplies. They didn't know it, but the governor was their brother Joseph. When they came into his presence, they bowed to the ground to show respect, as was customary in those days. Does that bring back any memories? This is just a side note from the actual story as I'm reading it, because it should. The prophecy has partially come true. The first half of the vision has been fulfilled. His brothers would bow. Why is it so significant that the actual action has taken place? To prophesy that a tree will fall in a forest that nobody has seen or heard? Does that mean the tree actually did fall? One of those weird questions I heard growing up. Did it actually make a sound is what they say. We see just from that statement that this has got to be deeper than just bowing. The bowing portion was actually the part that got Joseph into trouble. It was this part of the prophecy that if anything else was stated, was probably not even heard by the brothers. Because the idea of bowing to this little knucklehead was more than they could bear. It deepened their hatred for the brother. Why do you think God centered around this point? In the vision, it was to point to things to come, but the action of bowing. In my estimation, 
This means that they would be humbled. Humbled how? Was it just the brothers that needed to be humbled? Or was it Joseph as well? It would seem to me that the gifts of God come to the surface, are completed, are fulfilled. No sooner than the hearts of the subjects being humbled are in fact humbled. That there is a journey that takes place with the gifts that God gives us. God could drop gifts on us, which he has, many of us from birth, but God develops those gifts over time. And what is it that he is developing over time in these gifts? Is it only how to execute these gifts? I'm gonna tell you no. Gifts from God, at the very least, have two components. One is actual mastery of the skill. Mastery of the skill within the set of skills that you've been given. A person who has the gift of being handy with their hands. Just good at putting anything together. Understanding how things fit together. Having the patience to be able to see it through when there are obstacles. That means that because of the way life works in the context of a broken world with sin, there needs to be development of unseen tools. Someone might know how to swing a hammer, but that same person is going to need to know how to be patient Say, when it rains on a day that you are going to put up the frames. The know-how of when there's not enough nails. Or a part of the project fails. As I speak, I begin to see that there are other elements. The first is the mastery of the skill over time. The second is the mastery over skill. The mastery of skill over time requires additional tools within the character. Things such as the patience to see it through. When obstacles come, patience is essential in the context of an imperfect world that throws obstacles in your way. 
to be able to face uncertainty and learn to navigate that. And finally, it's the humility, which probably should be first, to be honest. You'll need humility to be able to actualize, to realize, to accomplish, to experience the fullness of the gifts that God has given. Let's continue reading. Joseph recognized his brothers, and he also remembered his dreams from so long ago about his brothers bowing to him. Obviously, they did not recognize him. Were they the same men they had been years before when they sold him into slavery? Were they still cruel and hateful, or were they kind and unselfish now? Joseph decided he would give his brothers a test. I think you are spies, he told them through an interpreter. No, my lord. We've come to buy food, they said. We are honest men. I think that you have come to spy on Egypt, Joseph insisted. Where do you come from? And how many are there in your family? We are twelve brothers from one family in Canaan. Is your father still living? Joseph was persistent. Our father is living and our youngest brother is with us, but but, but one other brother is no longer alive. You are spies and I think you are lying. Therefore, I will put you to the test. One of you may go home to bring the youngest son, while the rest of you are kept here in prison. After three days, Joseph finally let them out of prison. He dared not keep them any longer because he knew the family in Canaan might starve without food. This is how you will prove you are honest men, he told his brothers. The next time you come back to Egypt, bring your youngest brother. In the meantime, one of you will stay here as a guarantee that the others will return. You will stay behind in prison, he said, pointing at Simeon. To the brothers, it seemed as if things were going from bad to worse. They had come to Egypt just to get grain, but now they had been accused of being spies. And they all knew that Simeon had been the brother who had come up with the idea of selling Joseph as a slave. God is punishing us because we sold Joseph into slavery, Reuben said. you to spare him, but you wouldn't listen. Now that terrible deed has come back to haunt us tenfold. And so 
The nine brothers left Egypt, but that night, to their horror, they found the silver they had paid for the grain in the tops of their sacks. They didn't know it, but Joseph had ordered his servants to put the silver there. Absolutely horrified, the brothers continued on their way home, vowing they would pay double for their grain the next time they returned to Egypt. When they finally reached home in Canaan, they told Jacob all about their trip. They told him that the governor had <coughs> they told him that the governor had imprisoned them for three days because he thought they were spies. They told him about the silver in their grain sacks and why Simeon was not with them and that they could not go back to Egypt again without Benjamin. Of course, Jacob was stunned that Simeon was locked up in prison, but he was even more afraid of letting Benjamin go to Egypt. My youngest son will not go down there with you. His older brother is dead, and now you want to take Benjamin too? Absolutely not! If something should happen to him, it would surely kill me. Time passed, and the supplies of food ran low again. Jacob kept saying he wouldn't let Benjamin travel with the brothers. But in the end, he had no choice. If he didn't let him go, they would all starve. So they made the trip to Egypt once again. And when Joseph saw Benjamin, he ordered them to come to his house as guests. The brothers came to his home trembling, fearful of what might come next. They apologized to the governor's steward for the silver they had found in their sacks, but he waved off their explanations, telling them the silver was a blessing from their God. When they gave Joseph gifts of honey, spices, and pistachio nuts from their father, the governor asked about Jacob, and they told him that their father was doing well. Simeon was brought out to them now, and the brothers were so happy to see him. After so many weeks, Joseph could hardly hold back the tears when he saw his younger brother, Benjamin, and he had to leave the room. The brothers then placed at the table in the order of their age, and this astonished them. The fact that the governor knew so many details about their family frightened them. The next day at dawn, the brothers were finally sent on their way. However, they hadn't gotten gone far down the road when the governor's steward came after them. One of you has stolen the governor's silver cup, he shouted. Everyone protested that such a thing was impossible when the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. They all went back to Joseph's home sick 
at heart about what was coming. You have returned my kindness with wickedness, he scolded them. For this, the guilty one must remain behind in prison. We are good men, Judah protested. But how can we prove our innocence? We don't know how all these things have happened as you say they did. Please do not take our youngest brother as a slave. If you do this, it will kill our father who has already turned old. Let me stay in the young man's place. I will bear the blame for the cup being in the sack. Joseph could hide his identity no longer. He had wanted to know if his brothers had changed, and now he knew. Sending everyone but his brothers out of the room, he told them, I am Joseph. The brothers were terrified, but he assured them that the evil they had intended for him had been turned to good. God had blessed Joseph. Now he was the prime minister of Egypt and could help save thousands of lives from starvation. We've talked about three elements of the gifts that God plants within us, how they're developed over time through circumstances, especially in the context of a broken world with obstacles and the necessity for humility, especially if we're going to take guidance from God. We look at the story and we see humility on every end. We see Jacob being humbled as he has to come to terms of letting go. Letting go of what he has lost. We also see the humility of the brothers taking place. We see the humility of Joseph as God is shaping his gift. And then we see the purpose of gifts. What are the purpose of gifts? That's the question. Is it just that we can have cool abilities and we can look and admire one another because we each of us have different gifts and how they're cool? Yeah, they're cool and they're admirable. But we must know where they come from and how they are formed. And then finally, what is their purpose? What do we learn from this story concerning gifts that God has given? We learn that gifts take time. Sometimes a lifetime. And we see that gifts from God are used to bridge, bridge the gap, heal brokenness, and unite.